So, the big question is this. How can kingdom-minded, for-purpose entrepreneurs like us, those who are committed to building big things with their life through their business, do it in a way that they don't lose their body, they don't lose their balance, those closest relationships that mean the most to them, and their being, their connection and daily walk with Christ? How can we build, expand, and create in such a way that we hear, well done, good and faithful servant? That is the question, and this podcast is centered around those who are on this journey at a high level and their tips, systems, routines, and mindsets that have enabled them to pull this off. My name is Forrest Walden, and welcome to Tribecast. Welcome to another episode of Tribecast. I'm honored this morning to sit down with my high school football coach, Coach Fred Yancey. Uh, not only was he my coach, but he's a bit of a legend in Alabama. He's inducted into the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame. Over 300 wins, 319 to be exact, uh, over the course of his 49 years in coaching. So, Coach, welcome to the show. Thank you, Forrest. It is a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to to be with guys that I coached. That's a that's one of my highlights going on in my life right now is that I run across guys that I coached over the many years and it's a treat. Well, um, recently we were able to gather as former players and celebrate your retirement. And I tell you what, that was, I know it had to be an impactful time for you, but I walked away from that. In fact, I can remember coming back and telling my team, you know, I forget the impact that mentors have had in my life. And just going, first of all, I hadn't been back in the high school in years and years and years. And then watching film and clips and hearing people tell stories, I was just reminded of the impact that you had in my life. And I just want to tell you one moment. Uh, It was in the highlight video. And you had the, the, the players huddled around you. It wasn't my year. It doesn't matter. But you were quoting Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 as the pre-huddle breakdown. You know, it wasn't go kill them. It wasn't, you know, we're out to take heads. Not, you know, it was quoting Scripture. And it just reminded me of my life has been built on the foundation of men like you who are devoted to God's Word. So first of all, I just want to start and say thank you for that impact. It was great for me, but let's start there. How was, you know, you're just recently retired and you celebrated, had all these former players come. Like, talk about that experience. Yeah, that was a a thrill. Uh, When it came time to retire, I'd, I'd been aware the last year or two that I was getting of that age to retire, but I was also in pretty good health and and really determined that I was going to finish strong. That, I really wanted to do that, and I did. I, the, the school was great to me. They, they really fixed my schedule so that my last year or two, I was able to get home and take a nap after lunch. Man, when I came back to practice, I was raring to go. So it worked out great. But I also knew there was a time that would be best to retire that would be a smooth transition to a great young coach like Matthew Forrester is. And he'd been on the staff for 16 years. I was hoping, prayerful, that he would be the guy that would follow me. And he did. And he is. But uh, that I, the retiring itself, I knew it would bring across or bring about opportunities. Uh to, uh, to just express appreciation to the Lord, to my family, and to the many people who've uh, rubbed shoulders with me, played ball for me, coached with me. And I really enjoyed that whole experience of being able to just share my thanks to them during that time and to you guys for being there and uh, just what an encouragement it was. So I can't look back on my retirement and say, oh, I wish I'd have done it different. No, it was done well, I believe, not because of what I did, but because of the fact that so many good people lifted me up and reminded me that the Lord has really been, uh, he's been, his fingerprints are all over my life, Mm. even when I was running from him. 
Uh, I can definitely echo that sentiment. He, he's in his kindness, right? He's always yes. chasing us. Right. Um, I was uh, tickled and honored that of all your 49 years, the, the few stories you told from stage, I happened to be in one of the plays that you specifically Absolutely. talked about. So I had a few of these 319 wins, not as many as I'd like. Um, but well, Let me let's, interrupt you. You may you won't take credit for this, but your team should take credit. Right now, Briarwood's on one of the longest streaks of any team in the state. Not many have gone about 27 years uh, in a row making the playoffs, but your team started that yep. uh, playoff run mm-hmm. that c- continues even even now. So I'd thank a- you, Forrest. I actually didn't even realize that that That's was true. when the streak started. But yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So we started at the end. Let's jump back to the beginning. Um, a lot has gone into you getting to 319 wins. And I know you said you're not a numbers guy, but um, obviously it just it speaks to the success and the body of work you've had. Um, you were just talking to me off the sh- off the show before we started, just why you went into coaching and and just talk about that career choice and what it's allowed you to do over the last 49 years. Right. Uh, well, as a boy coming up, I grew up in a neighborhood and in a school where playing ball is what we did. If it was football season, that's what we were playing. If it was basketball, that's what we're playing. Baseball, that's what we're playing. And we just loved playing ball together. In fact, in my neighborhood, most, not I say most, a number of guys uh, were good enough that when they were playing high school ball, they made all Memphis. And that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so that was kind of the environment. We weren't looking to go out and find trouble. We were finding football and basketball and that type of thing. So, that was the, the kind of my DNA was to be a ball player as best I could. Now, from there, uh, I got to play uh, through junior high and high school. That Nobody played back in the elementary then except just in the backyard, and that wasn't a bad deal either. No. We had a lot of fun. But from the seventh grade on through, uh, we played school ball and that was that was important to us in Memphis and it was important to me and that's what I like and my older brother I have two older brothers but one of them is five years older than I am he wanted to be a coach as he was going through and about the time I was a senior in high school he got he'd graduated from college and he had his first coaching job at Colonial Junior High which was a big junior high in Memphis. And man, I just had my eye on Bob. Bob still is my hero. He's 80 years old. He's just a great guy. He he had a great coaching career in Tennessee. Wonderful example for me. But my sights were set. And then when I got a chance to go to college, uh, I knew that I was either gonna have to be good enough to get a scholarship or pay my way. I wasn't good enough to get a scholarship. I was a 160-pound guard, uh, but I had a lot of fun. But I did have the opportunity with Bob going to Colonial Junior High to be a 7th and 8th grade coach at his school while I was going to Memphis State. And immediately, soon, it didn't take long, I realized I love this and I'm pretty good at it, I thought. now. I wasn't stupid. I knew that there was a lot to learn, and I had a long way to go. But I was, I was encouraged that I could do this if the Lord would lead, and He did. So through college, I coached. And when I graduated from college, uh, Don Robinson, who was the head football coach at Overton High School in Memphis, a very large, kind of like a Hoover type. Uh, size school where we had 1800 kids in three grades it was a big school he had a spot for me to come to overton high school as assistant football assistant basketball assistant track teach five history classes and they would pay me six thousand two hundred dollars to do it (laughs) now i hit the jackpot i couldn't believe that one i had that kind of a job and it really was was a great job for a guy right out of college Mm -hmm. And they were going to pay me $6,000 for the year. I landed in heaven right then. Yeah. And so for five years, I was Don's assistant, one of his several assistants. He made the promise to me. He said, Fred, you want to be a 
varsity coach someday, head coach. I said, I'd love to. He said, well, I'm going to let you coach a different position every year and every spring. He said, I'm training you. And he did that. And so for five years, I got the, I got a great education in not just my position, which was still my favorite position, but I really got a chance to coach all these other positions. Uh, and uh, at the end of five years, I was offered a coaching spot at Towering Oak School in Memphis. Uh, and I coached there for three years and just loved it. Uh, and then, but I, I will say this, I went five and five, five and five, five and five. And I thought if I go five and five, one more year is driving me crazy. I want to be a champion. You know, I want to win a bunch of games. Of course. You know, all young guys, I, I hate to say it, but I was looking way more at the, the, the balance of success, more so than I was looking at the impact at that point. Mm -hmm. Although I wasn't unaware of the impact. Uh, as a young boy, I'd become a Christian, uh, raised in a Christian home and became a Christian at a young age. Uh, but and, and through young life, I was plugged in throughout high school and college. So good things were happening, but that wasn't a main motivation. Uh, I get a job in, in uh, Edenton, Georgia. And the first year, we're playing 11 games. So I know for a fact, I'm not going five and five. We've got 11 games. We win a game. We lose a game. I'm not worried. We're playing 11 games. Next week, we tied. And back then, they didn't break ties. So I realized I'm going to go five, five, and one. And I was still frustrated. Well, we ended up going six, four, and one. And that didn't help much. But I, I knew that good things were happening. I had a young team. Or from that point on, we took off. We went nine and one, 11 and one, and so forth. We had some great teams, and I, I was blessed. But I, I do, I do look back and realize that my emphasis on the old record was too much, mm. and quite honestly, it was affecting my marriage at that point too, uh, because. Uh, and, and, and we'll get into that when okay. we get to balance. That'll be a great topic. And okay, in the being, as you talk about your yeah. faith and how that all impacted as well. Yeah. So let's jump forward yeah. to you coming to Alabama and coming to Briarwood. I believe that was 92? 90. Okay, 1990. 90. So I was class in 94. Yeah. So I was pretty early in that coaching career. But that was a big move for you. And that's where you found a home over the last, what is that? 30, 30 years. Almost 30 years, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, the way that happened, I'd been, by this point, by the nineteen by nineteen eighty one, I was back in Memphis at Evangelical Christian School, and I was the freshman football coach there, and the athletic director and the dean of students. And it hurt my pride to take a step down from varsity high school to freshman in a sense, but I really didn't care. I just loved coaching. But they they had a real solid coach there. He's in the Hall of Fame in Tennessee. He's a good one. Uh, so. There was, but main thing, I wanted to move back to Memphis to get my children in a Christian school, evangelical Christian schools, a fine Christian school. And I really did. I wanted my children to get a Christian education. So we came back to Memphis, and so for nine years, I was there, and I coached the freshman team. And gosh, we had, we had some great teams and uh, good kids that I still am in touch with a lot of those young men now. But anyway, Dr. Kynard, was down here. He's the headmaster of uh, Briarwood for 30-something years, and he's a great man that he is. They had an opening as head for the head coach here at Briarwood. Well, I'd heard about Briarwood over the years, and everybody told me it's a great school. But um, I, I didn't want to live in Birmingham. Nobody wants to live in Birmingham <laughs> if you've never been here. That's right. Now, once we were invited to come down and visit we were just amazed what a beautiful place this is. And the culture and the climate of the city was wonderful. Make a long story short, uh, Dr. Kynard and them offered me the job. I came to Briarwood in 1990, and uh, the Lord blessed beyond anything I could have dreamed of uh, because uh, Briarwood, when I got here, was three and 17, my seniors, my current group of seniors, mm -hmm. first year. 
and we went eleven two that year. But I, they were really good players, good mm-hmm. athletes. They were just young, and and they were ready to. They would. I think they'd have been a good team no matter who was coaching them. But I I got the benefit of that, and that got me started at Briarwood in nineteen ninety. And so, over your tenure, with three state championships in the final appearance six times, right? Yeah, total of six times. Won three, lost three. Wow, that's that's incredible. You know, I, I remember, I don't know, it's been 10, 15 years ago, I came back and sat in your office and I said, you probably don't remember this, I said, Coach, what separated my team, because at that point you were on this huge run, going to the finals every year, from the teams now, was it a difference in talent? And you said you made a fundamental decision to stop trying to play your best players both ways, make them pick a position and groom them from fifth grade, sixth, sixth, I don't know when you start seventh grade, but not that we're going to get into X's and O's in too much detail, but talk about how that changed kind of the output of, of the type of athlete you could develop. Forrest, it was a, I wish I could say I was so smart I figured this out, but I'll be real honest. A guy named Don Woods, who was the coach at Hartzell, great coach, and later he was in college ranks, Sparky Woods' brother. But Don and I were at a coaching clinic in Memphis. And he asked me one time, and he said, this was really after the 95 season and before the spring of 96. He said, Coach, do you two platoon? And I said, no, I don't think I can. He said, well, how many players you got? I said, well, I don't have it, about 38 players. And he said, oh, that's plenty. You can do it. I said, I don't think so. He said, yeah. He said, you take a quarterback, a running back, and a receiver. Now give you a defensive coordinator the next 11 picks. Can he put together a good defense? I said, oh, yeah, they'll be good. I said, but we can't score with just three guys. He said, try it. said, build your offense around what's left. Well, I came back to Birmingham, and before spring practice, I told the coaches, I said, this is what we're going to do. Because really and truly, when you were there, your senior year, and in 94, and in 95, round in there, we were getting better, but we did need to develop uh, depth. We needed to attract kids into the program better than we were doing. Those were fundamental things that needed to happen. Anyway, uh, we come back in that spring. We had two weeks where I took uh, Thomas Downs, Daniel McClurkin, and uh, Ketchum. I had three guys on offense, and the rest were on defense. And I mean, we had some good young players, but they weren't having to play anything but defense. And I had great coaches. I had uh, Mike Forrester and Jeremiah Castile, and they were taking the defense and just killing us. Every day for two weeks, we did not make one first down. (laughs) But I noticed that the kids who were playing offensive line for me, who wouldn't have been on the field, they had a smile on their face. They were trying hard. I was coaching the offensive line, and Jay Matthews was coaching the skill guys. And we were, we thought, getting a little better, but we surely weren't good enough to beat this bunch over on defense. And uh, and on the last day of the, that spring, we had a little scrimmage, and we made one first down, and that's all it took for me to be encouraged. Hmm. This is going to work. Well, that next year, fast forward and quick story, we – Finished the regular season that year 10-0. and 0. And in nine of those 10 games, we were either behind at half or tied at half. And we won all 10 games. Wow. And because we really did. I mean, nobody was scoring many points. And we were wearing folks down. And that year we went 13-1. and one. And then more kids were on the field, on the team. And the attraction, and I think as... As the kids were coming to Briarwood, we had more kids that were plugging in that liked football. It just we had a m- bigger number of mm-hmm. them that were plugged. In. So as a result, it, it took off, and, and we really were pretty doggone good after that. Yeah, I would say so. And you know, it's funny because looking back, I actually loved. I hardly ever came off the field, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Either I was playing receiver or tailback, yeah. and then I'd run, go over to defensive back, and then I'd punt the ball, That's and right. then I'd return the punt. That's right. I mean, the funnest year of my life. I didn't yeah. get to play my junior year, but senior year, funnest year of my life. But to be fresh and to go in and own one side of the ball yeah. and win as a team, that's 
probably better than trying to be the superstar and do it all and be completely worn out. Right? You can make a case for either side. In fact, I used to have some coaches that say, how can you not put Tim Castile on the defensive side of the ball? Because he would be so great. Mm-hmm. Well, we were winning games. That's how. And it really did matter. So I give Don Woods uh, from Hartsville all the credit for teaching me that. And over the years, I've spoken at coaching clinics, and they've heard this talk. And I've had so many young coaches over years and years later say, Coach, I remember you telling us that, and we did it, and, and it helped. Oh, that's huge. And I think it applies to business, too, I right? So. As you're yeah. building teams and right. putting people in their strengths and not trying to over-rely on your, your studs and developing. Right. So, yeah, great, great that's topic there. a great there. point for us in business model. If you can get everybody contributing, you got some guys that care more and they're happier and they're invested. But if they know their third string and ain't getting in the game, that's not a good thing. Yeah, there's no ownership. There's no smile on their face there, no, right? No, no. Um, Coach, h- how many uh, players do you estimate you've coached over your career? Do you have any kind of guess at that? You know, I added it up. It's over a thousand. I'm sure it is. So, and then, how many coaches have worked under you as head coach? Well, uh, I never added that up. Uh, we at least a hundred. I would think might be, but we we didn't have a lot of turnover in okay. coaches. That's one thing uh, where I know that it can happen where coaches are cam- coming and going. Uh, Jay Matthews coached for me with me for fifteen years or so. Mike Forrester sixteen. Uh, you know, we just had guys that were coming and uh, Matthew Forrester coached with me for sixteen years, mm-hmm. counting his years when he was a seventh and eighth grade coach and moving up. So, but but I have had a lot of, you know, when you're doing it 49 years, yeah. you've had a lot of coaches. Come Absolutely. Through. Well, and the reason I ask that is uh, I remember, and again, I maybe 10 years ago, 10 years ago, I, I'm walking at the summit, and you and your wife Sharon are walking out. We're walking by Fleming's, and without skipping a beat, you said Forrest. We, we met eyes. You said Forrest Walden, number 20 on the field, number one in your heart, and we had a nice talk. And I got in the car, and I'm like. Babe, can you believe after all these years and all the people he's coached, he remembers my number, I mean, my name, my number on the field. So that was – and that's the kind of coach you are. Like every every player uh, has a place in your heart. It's not transactional for you. Thank so. you, Forrest. And I, I, that would be to God's glory that he gives me a, a special memory. Mm-hmm. Really and truly almost about every – the other night we were at La Paz eating in this – young guy he had his mask on and then in a little bit he said you're coach Anson." and i said oh yeah he said uh, uh i played for you when i was 10th grade he said you won't remember me the wheels were turning but i did remember him mm-hmm. and i remember he's a great kid a fine boy wasn't a good player and uh, so that's that's the lord using that uh as a special time in their life it was their turn. It was their time to grow up, and I happened to be in their life, and I'm so thankful. That's the that's the wonder of God's details. Yes, that's exactly right. And so you've got this great body of work professionally, right? But that doesn't sum up who Fred Yancey is, right? There's mm-hmm. all these other domains of life. So I want to transition. That's what the show's all about. Let's start with body. I have vivid memories of you running uh, yeah. before practice, seeing you run, seeing you lift in the weight room. In fact, my love and fascination of the weight room really was birthed at Briarwood and the, the workouts we did. And yeah. I, I just loved it. Didn't know it would be my career point career at that point but let's talk about body and how you've been able to maintain your health uh, because you don't coach 49 years you're not married 53 years if you're not around yeah. to be able to even you, know, you viewers you can, or listeners you can't see coach but he's still in great shape today at uh, 70, 75 75 yeah so talk to me about your kind of your approach to exercise and how, how that's helped you uh, build what you've built well like I said when I was growing up I was ball player loved it. I wasn't a sit around guy I was a go go have fun guy playing ball and stuff and back in the 60s when I played our coaches were just getting a glimpse of weight training 
back then, LSU with Billy Cannon, old Heisman Trophy winner back mm-hmm. in the 50s, and isometrics and some weightlifting, that was taking hold. And our coaches had us put together some broomsticks and cans of concrete. And in our off season, man, we were doing curls and uh, power press and things with that. And we liked it, but nobody surely understood what was doing on it except just work hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's good for us. Anyway, as a young man going through college and all, I, I enjoyed playing handball about as much as I'd enjoyed uh, playing football. I, I played it a lot. Played, you know, men's softball and all that kind of stuff, uh, as you do. And at some point, I'm coaching at Overton High School. I'm 28 years old, and I realize I'm not exercising like I ought to. Mm-hmm. And coaching is not staying in shape. You well, I think see? that's very clear when you look on the sidelines of most coaches. <laughs> You're right. You see too many coaches that are not in shape, no. and yet they, they're good coaches. But anyway, and I made a commitment then that I'm going to start running a mile a day. Back That was in 1974. And uh, so I run a mile a day, and I did that, and that's pretty easy. And then I got some buddies, and we started running two miles a day, and then three miles a day, and we were doing all this before school. And uh, so for years, from really 1974 through about 2007, I ran a lot, and actually ran in never ran ran marathons. Uh, Glenn McWaters, our track coach at uh, uh, Briarwood, he told me he didn't recommend running marathons. He said it's probably a little too much for most bodies. Mm-hmm. But I, I ran in these ten Ks and enjoyed competing and doing that. Uh, and I, that's all personal as far as you, if you, you can do good and still do bad and when you do it that way. And that's kind of what I was doing. I'd, I'd run for me was a good time, and that's all that mattered. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I stayed active with that for so many years. It was it allowed me to, uh, to stay in pretty good shape and control my weight, and I wanted to do that. I, I really never did want to be a fat old guy. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, then in about 2007 or so, I'd had some lung issues that um, that I have under control. The, the, the Lord's allowed me to work through it, but I needed to kind of change my pace a little bit. So far as I decided I would be a regular walker, and I never will forget the first morning, I, the first day I went up to the YMCA and got on that track to walk. And... Uh, I'd been up there running from time to time, you know, on cold days, but there it was now, I'm fixing to walk. And I got on that track and I started walking and I thought, you big sissy. (laughs) Everybody in America sees you right now and you're walking. I felt like a coach getting all over a boy who should be running. And then I realized, first of all, nobody sees me, nobody cares, and this is probably good for me to do this. And so since then, I've been a very avid and regular walker. I'll knock out three miles every day, five to six miles on some days. And that's been good for me. I'll I'll do some lifting also. Uh, I'm not gonna set a world record, but I do try to keep uh, maintaining and watch my weight. So physically, I've been a guy that has felt like that that's good for me. And my wife has been, she's she's great about uh, staying in g- good shape and uh, taking care of herself. And my children have too. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I think it's a great habit passed down, just like most great habits are. I agree. And, you know, even as a player, always respected that you were congruent with the message. You weren't this you know, 50, 75-pound overweight coach yelling at us to train hard and work hard. You lived what you preached, right? And so I think that makes you congruent in all areas. Okay. So um, just curious, is it still an early, early morning routine now? Is that you know, how now you start that, your day? Now that the COVID is hit, now yep. that the retirement is in, I snooze in in the mornings. <laughs> but I get up. Uh, whenever I get up, I, I just know that some And I've got so much time on my hands now that I use to not have, mm-hmm. uh, of course, and so I usually get over about eleven o'clock. Okay, and I, 
and I have a routine that I go through, and it takes me about an hour and 45 minutes to do what I do. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. All right, so let's transition from that into balance, which is your marriage, yeah. your kids, your grandkids. Yeah. Um, so married to Sharon, 53 years, yeah. two kids, three grandkids. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about those relationships because, I mean, in business you hear it, but especially in coaching, yeah. right? You see and you hear stories all the time of people who have really sold out to the profession yeah. and left their family behind. And I know that's been important to you. And You mentioned a little bit as you were telling your story, there was that tendency to drift that way. So just talk about how that's been a support for you as you've coached over the last 49 years. Well, uh, my parents really hammered on me when I was a boy coming up, be careful who you date because you might end up marrying them. And uh, maybe they overdid it because, boy, there were a lot of good-looking girls I wished I'd have dated that I didn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? But uh, I did look for uh, so the character. I met Sharon at Young Life Camp uh, at Frontier Ranch in, <laughs> when I was a junior and she was a sophomore. But we didn't start dating right away or anything. I just knew she was good-looking and I liked. I knew that someday I'd like to date her. Well, maybe eight months later... Uh, we got together and started dating. Make that long story short, we got married probably too young. I was 21, she was 20, and we both say, gosh, we would probably been smarter to have waited. We sure didn't have any money, uh, but we did get married, and uh, thankfully, I married a lady that is uh, better than I am. And uh, as a young professional, a young coach who was totally excited and fired up about uh, the potential of being a high school football coach. That's all I ever really wanted to do, if you don't get down to it. Uh, I was overboard. And she had to put up with me being gone and not caring enough. And we it was not an easy time always. Uh, and we had to work through that. And that's where being involved in church and, 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 and as a Christian, I always knew what right and wrong was. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wasn't ignorant, but I was headstrong, oftentimes going in the wrong direction. And so through God's forgiveness and through my wife's forgiveness, we were able to bridge that. And, and I, I was the one who needed to repent and get my life straight uh, in those areas, the spiritual areas, and certainly uh, my job being an overload was one of them. I'll, quick, I'll fast forward quickly and then I'll come back to my children. Uh, the pressure to win, the desire to win, and all that good stuff was so heavy on me that uh, by the time I went to uh, uh, ECS, I was kind of a little basket case uh, as a coach. I was kind of, really, I think a lot of coaches go through it just typically just spinning trying to work harder and getting stupider. And that's what I was doing. And then I met a guy named Rob Ritchie, who was our Bible teacher at Evangelical Christian School. And later Rob came down to uh, uh, Briarwood, and he's our Bible teacher there, and he was an assistant coach for me. Rob and I had lots of good conversation about coaching Christianly. And yeah, I'd been a Christian all this time, but to understand how to really integrate, use what I knew to be true, and to be able to get in front of kids and lead in that direction, that was all pretty new to me. Because I'd always segregated it. Mm -hmm. I was an SOB on the field and a Christian off the field mm. and, uh, prior to that. So Rob was very instrumental in me learning some things that helped me get on balance. And then, Back to my children. As my children uh, were born and started coming up, I really did. I wanted to be a great dad more than anything else in the world, mm -hmm. including coach. I wanted to be a great dad, and I paid attention to my children. And I don't have, I think Bart and Allie would both tell you that we don't have any of those regrets that I neglected them and or that... Uh, it, that we ever had real parting of the ways. Now I had to discipline them. Of course, you got to. Mm -hmm. And but they they seemed to really understand it. They were blessed, and I was blessed that they were always in the schools where I was, and they saw me as a coach, 
as a dean of students. And that was an important role in my life and in their vision. They always saw me in those roles as being a guy who could get along with the students and was pretty fair. And sometimes I'd make decisions they wouldn't like, but it was never a big deal. Never will forget my daughter. She was a cheerleader, and I made a decision that they couldn't go to some game someplace because of something. I don't know what. <laughs> but when I got home, she said, Dad, I just hate it when you make stupid decisions like that. <laughs> well, those were rare times. Oh, Coach, I've got a 17-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 10-year-old. You're speaking my language oh, right now. You understand. Yes, I do. But. You know, as we love our children and spend time with them and uh, work through issues with them, and I can't tell anybody what they, you just, as they come your way, you really do have to trust in the Lord that he'll give you wisdom. And that's a point I would make as I can insert that. In the Bible, it tells us to pray for wisdom. I don't consider myself a brilliant, wise, wonderful, smart guy. I consider myself a guy who has been wise on many decisions and occasions because I prayed about it. And so many times I can remember going, going to have a parent conference that would, might be gonna be a tough one. And I'd say, Lord, give me some wisdom because I don't have it, but I need, I need to work with them, get this. And we'd get into the conversation and I'd be surprised that I was actually wise in that case as I'd hear myself saying things that I didn't think I was smart enough to do. And I don't say that to brag. I'm saying that because the Lord has given wisdom and he gives that, I think, in any line of work. There are times that you get stuck with a decision that you're not smart enough to handle. Mm -hmm. As you pray for wisdom, you look back and you say, God gave me wisdom. Absolutely. He gives us wisdom. Yep. In fact, I was in Proverbs 1 this morning because I I try to read the proverb for whatever day of the month is. Yeah, you're there. I circled multiple times. It kept calling wisdom she, and it's a a person, right? And I'm like, I want to know this person. I invite more wisdom into my life. So great story on that. Um, Any Anything that you and Sharon did specifically to create margin around just who you are as a married couple is you've, you know, you're running the student body, you're the coach, you know, just all this pressure on you. Did y'all do date nights? Did you create family meetings? I know church attendance and all that plays into it, but Sharon Sharon was very willing and wanting to be a part of my coaching program. And, and so she was at all the games. She loved my players. Uh, in fact, now I get calls from coaches, from kids that I coached in. Kids are 60 years old. <laughs> they coached, I coached them in Georgia. And they text her all the time. Mm-hmm. And just it, she had a great relationship with the guys I coached. Uh, she had a great relationship with the parents. And she was wonderful about not being thin-skinned. I told Sharon, I said, when you go up in those stands, I'm going to make some bad calls. And they're being fans. They don't dislike me, but they're going to say some things about me that could hurt your feelings. And she never, ever, ever let that be a deal. She stayed loving and friendly because she didn't take it personal. And, uh, And so those were things. Now, one of the things that we did when we took vacations, we didn't go to places uh, where you get in line and, and get on a long ride and spend a lot of money. We went camping a lot. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I'm not a camper, but we had, we'd had we get with other couples and their children, and we'd go water skiing or camping and bring friends, the kids bring friends. I always thought that was important. They love to be with us, but they really love being with their friends. Absolutely. So you get a good buddy to go, and now it gives you a chance to network with other families because those good buddies go with each other. So uh, I thought that was important that that a lot of our memories are based on things that we were in Gunner Pool, Arkansas, a little old campground that was built by the CCC boys in the 30s. It, it has nothing but just, it's just rustic. But we would go there and spend a week with other families playing ball, uh, 
against the against the wall of a canyon in a in a gully mm-hmm. stuff like that. I mean absolutely just playing so we did make we made sure that everything we did in the way of uh, trips things like that were action fun let's do this uh, we took Allison for her senior uh, before high school, before her senior year, we all went to Young Life Family Camp in Colorado and had just a ball together. So that's the kind of thing I would I would encourage people that that, that works. It does it work. And we're big fans of Young Life. We're big fans of JH Ranch. And mm-hmm. you can't believe how many times those type of things have come up on this show. Yeah. In fact, I had a guest recently, uh, Chuck Andrews. He's, oh, he yeah. quoted a study he had found where they had gone and done studies across the most you know successful families in multiple churches. And one of the commonalities they found is the families camp together. Yeah. Like it was statistical. And he bought an RV for that wow. very purpose. He's got wow. five kids. And so that that's always impacting me. It's, it's great. It's great, great to yeah. hear you say Noah's that. Family. Yeah, they're yeah. great. Uh, oh, yeah, because they're Memphis people. Yeah, they're Memphis. Um, all right, so let's transition into the final domain. We've talked about business, body, and balance, but being your connection with Christ, your relationship with, with God. And, and the thing I love about these interviews is you've talked about that from the start to the end. It's not this separate domain over here. It's, it's the underpinning. It's the foundation of everything you've built your life on. So talk about that, and I do want you to talk about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, because I know that's a, if it's not your life verse, it's got to be one of your favorite verses. So talk to us about that. Well, Forrest, let me mention this on the front end. In a conversation like this, you get the highlights of my life, which are great and fun and pippy and all that. I would bring into the fact also that the Lord is so faithful. Because, you know, most of the great sins that I've committed in my life were after I was a Christian, Mm. because I was a Christian at a young age. And so I've been forgiven so much. And uh, that's that's part of who we are are as growing Christians is the fact that we better admit the fact that we need forgiveness in a deep way. And uh, that grieves me if I shared the bad of me the people would turn this thing off real quick because, uh, you know, I've, I've needed forgiveness and the Lord's been so faithful. And I'm thankful that during the growth as a Christian, I've had opportunity to see God's forgiveness as well as His leadership and His wisdom in my life. Uh, but the, uh, the, the thing that I, th- I think there's some important points as far as spiritual uh, growth one, we need to be of service to others really as we go through the world. Now, for me, it was pretty easy assignment in the sense of being a coach. I've got all these guys coming to me every day. They're listening to what I have to say, but they don't need a preacher. They don't. Need, I mean, they don't need me to be their preacher. They right. need me to teach them how to play football. Yep. And one of the first at, at every coaches meeting I ever had, first part of the year, I would tell the coaches, "Now, fellas, you better know your football. We had better be prepared every day to have a great practice, and you'd better be able to coach them tough. You'd be able to coach to get after them uh, and and love them. And we're going to take them through a hard course. It's not going to be easy. And these kids, they're they're not coming to us." us teaching Bible stories, they're coming to us to teach them how to block and tackle and how to play ball and how to compete. And if we're good coaches and if we do this right and well, then they will hear us when we talk about the Lord and mm. the important things. Mm. And I think Jay Matthews, Jeremiah Castile, Mike Forrester, Matthew Forrester, and I could just name so many coaches, they were great at that. Shane Harmon, these are guys that are just super at being good, tough, demanding coaches, uh, and and at the same time, sitting down with those guys, putting an arm around them, loving all over them, and forgiving them. Uh, you mentioned about my conditioning the other day, uh, or a while ago. One of the things that I would do, if I caught a, had a kid that got in trouble drinking in the off season, and I always told him, I said, if you get in trouble in the on season, I just got, I don't have anything to do but let you go because I can't, can't deal with that mm-hmm. during season. But if it's an off season, they were going to get suspended, of course. But then I also say we're going to do stadiums, and one of the things that I'd do, I'd give them 200 stadiums. 
up and down as one. You got 200 of them. Well, that takes about an hour and a half to two hours to do. Uh, yeah, maybe even a little longer. And most kids are not used to doing that kind of stuff. And I'd get them to the point to where they couldn't go much. And then I would take their last 50 or 75 to try my best to show them that there's somebody that's taking your penalty. Mm. Hope that was helpful. But that's that's how you kind of combine them. That's kind of what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Can't say that everybody got that uh, lesson like I intended to teach it, but uh, it was it was a good opportunity. But coaching has great opportunity, and that was what I was what I was blessed to be able to do for so many years. Okay, so my memory of Proverbs three five oh, is that yeah. a life verse? I know I've heard yeah. you quote it so many times. Yeah, yeah. In fact, the other day, I want you quote it first for those who are wondering what that. Trust is. in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Um, I really, Doctor Kynard inspired me. Doctor Kynard, our school head. Boy, what a great man and a great leader he was for the school at Briarwood. Still is a great man. But uh, Dr. Kynard kind of made his trademark that you were going to hear Jesus Loves Me. The little nursery rhyme song, you were going to hear that at every meeting Dr. Kynard chaired. It's Jesus Loves Me. That's his message. And I thought that's so effective that he's got a he's got a message that we will all remember and think of Dr. Kynard as teaching us that. And so many years ago, the 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 my favorite verse was trust in the Lord with all your heart. And I started using that more and more to get it in front of the kids. And uh, about two weeks ago, J.R. Tran Reno, who's playing at Vanderbilt now, and uh, his granddad and I were having lunch and he said, uh, 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 um, uh, John Jones told me, said, you know, J.R. will always remember, y'all, Proverbs 3, 5, 4, 5. He said, he's going to always remember that, isn't he? I said, I hope he does. I hope he does. I hope yeah. he does. Because so much of that verse is the truth of the whole scriptures in a verse. Love it. Well, here I am, 20... 20- Six years later, and I remember it, you know, vividly. Yeah, yeah. So it's had, it's had an impact, and it's been yeah. a big part of your it's, uh, your ministry. Thank you. I, uh, I was blessed that that uh, kids like that. Uh, they, 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 I think they've appreciated that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I never did preach that God is with us, so we will win. Uh, I was, in fact, I, I'd usually tell the kids before the season, life's not undefeated. Teams aren't undefeated very often. Seasons are not undefeated. Uh, we're going to have to go through some ups and downs. But the Lord is faithful and true all the way, every time. Mm-hmm. And that's he's the steady influence. Well, Coach, I uh, am probably responsible for at least one of those gray hairs on your head. <laughs> it wasn't always smooth. Uh, you know, there was a few times I was running the stadiums, a few times I was suspended. Uh, but there's one story I remember. Um, it was my senior year. I had already finished the football season, and I got accepted to Auburn. I'm sure you won't remember this. But I had my acceptance letter to Auburn, and I was in chemistry, and she asked for my homework. And I put my acceptance letter down. I said, I don't have to do homework anymore. I'm already in Auburn. She marched me down to your office so fast, and you straightened me out. So I just can't imagine how many situations you've had like that over the years, where, especially with players. Yeah. You know, and what you did is you pointed me back to football and said, yeah. do you just give up when you've reached the next level? No. You know, you just kind of talk some sense into me and, and you know what you did is you challenged me to finish strong yeah. and that's how you started this podcast is with your career you wanted to finish strong with your life you wanted to finish strong so you were teaching me that as a senior in high school and Forrest, let me come in on you and a bunch of guys I really didn't like I really didn't like nearly as much the guys who never got in trouble as the guys who I had to kind of wrangle with and deal with because I know the Lord 
I think the Lord puts a spirit of competitive juices running in us. I think he knows that uh, we're sometimes headstrong. You know, I think Peter is a great example in the scriptures of mm -hmm. a guy who was probably in front of the principal's desk more than once. Yeah. <laughs> but I had a role as a disciplinarian where I had to deal with, but I, I thought that was an opportunity to just kind of help coach some more. But I never, I, I didn't take it personal when I was dealing with a boy who uh, got in a little trouble. I really didn't. I always knew that I'd already done that when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so thank you for reminding me of that. I hope that I served you well in that capacity because uh, Man, I, I I look back on the guys that I've been with and the guys that got into some trouble from time to time, and that was most everybody. You're 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 really no different than a lot of guys. That's right. You you do stupid stuff when you're that age, mm -hmm. but the Lord has a plan, and He has a way, and He has a pathway, and you took it, and I'm thankful. Well, I am a recipient of uh, your. Your ministry, your life, the overflow of your legacy. Uh, again, you know, I walked away from that meeting at Briarwood and just reflected on a life well lived. And obviously, you've still got a lot to do and yeah. probably goals in your life. But, you know, I, I just walked away from that going, you know, th th there's a man who lived with what he believed and his life was about impact. And I've received that impact. And so just thank you so much thank for you, your Forrest. investment in me. Keep praying that I will finish strong because mm -hmm. I'm not finished. Absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm blessed to be able to lead a coach's Bible study over at Pelham High School with the, with the football coaches over there. And they're great guys, great staff, and we get together during the week. And, and, and I'm not a good Bible teacher, hmm. but the Lord's using the fact that I'm a coach and they're coaches. And, boy, we, uh, we're getting a lot done. Well, what a platform you have to be able to speak well, into young coaches, right? That's the Lord blessing, man. I'm thankful that He is because when you get my age, that is a that's a gear to shift. When you're no longer going full speed coaching every day and mm -hmm. at school every day, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden, whoops, uh, you got a lot of time on your hands. And uh, I'm thankful that the Lord is. He hadn't, he hadn't given, a, given up on me nor quit on me yet. He's still giving me opportunity. And it, th this, getting to do this, I thank you. Yeah. Thank you I for mean, what you're doing. And you don't know to who. You'll never know mm -hmm. all the ears that are going to listen to people you talk to and, and you guys and your testimony. Well, that's my prayer, and I thank you for being on because I think you, you have a great story. And, again, just thank you for your time today. Thank you, Forrest. All right, Coach. The feedback from TribeCast over the last two seasons has been phenomenal, and one of the most common questions has centered around my willingness or ability to deliver coaching to others. And as I've continued my personal journey on the having it all lifestyle across body, being balance, and business, I've been inspired to create a program that I couldn't find in the marketplace. It's called EX3, and it's for accomplished, kingdom-minded entrepreneurs that know they need a band of brothers to play this game with at the highest level. If that's you and you want to know more about what I'm up to, then head on over to ex3impact.com now.